Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. Uh, if you're visiting today, uh, welcome to our church. We're so glad that we could um, celebrate Christmas together as a body. I'll be reading our text for us, which is found in uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 20. Uh, and then I'll be praying and we'll be going right into the sermon. Again, it's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Here's the word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration or census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in a in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That's God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your revelation and your word. Thank you that we can have this time to hear from you, especially on this occasion of Christmas, where we get to celebrate the birth of your precious son, Jesus, who came for us for our salvation. So, Lord, open our hearts, God, not just our minds, um, so that we can receive your word and be transformed and be touched by what you have to say to us today. So, thank you for this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you know, uh, my wife and I uh, welcomed a newborn boy, Seth, only a few weeks ago. 
it's been a huge joy for us, although we are losing a lot of sleep, as you can imagine. Um, and I think one thing, as you know, new parents, one thing I try to do is try to think ahead, you know, years ahead, like what I should be teaching my son, especially about certain perhaps cultural things that may not be entirely biblical. Like for example, if Christmas, right? There are many things we do around Christmas that may not be necessarily biblical, but more cultural, such as this fictional character named Santa Claus. Do I teach my son about this? Santa Claus, who's fake news, by the way. Um, but especially this you know, practice of gift giving. You know, it's expensive, it takes time and energy, right? And also, it, it can perhaps communicate materialism. So I'm thinking, man, should I teach Seth about this? Should we do this? And I think right now, as I'm thinking about Christmas, right now the conclusion that I have is that I think I'm going to do it and also teach my son to practice it, uh, except I'm going to be teaching him, you know, why we do it. Because as we see in this text, Christmas is about a gift, isn't it? That God is giving his gracious, amazing gift to us. And I think if I teach my son well, he can get the sense, a glimpse of God's gift uh, through Christmas. So I want you to look with me in this text to see what this gift of Christmas really is and how God delivered it to us. So that's what, where we're heading in this sermon. And uh, there are three points, uh, the sovereign author, the unusual story, and the right response, basically you know, following along with the text. So first, the sovereign author. Verse 1 and 2, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or uh, taken census. Uh, and this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So here Luke, the author, is giving us the historical context of uh, the birth of Jesus. And at that time, the supreme ruler of the land was Caesar Augustus. And if you are uh, familiar with the famous history, Augustus, or Octavian, was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And after Julius Caesar was assassinated, Octavian rose to power by you know, defeating his political enemies and uh, you know, uh, ending all the civil wars. And he became the first emperor of Rome. And as the most powerful ruler in the known world at the time, now Augustus here in the text declares a census or registration which would help him enlist soldiers and levy taxes. Uh, in other words, what he's doing here is he's basically flexing his muscles to his people, saying, hey, you are under my rule. I'm that powerful person you have to submit yourself to. And verse 3, uh, it says, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So obviously people would not want to divide this powerful man and powerful empire at the time uh, because they don't want to die by doing that. So they obey and travel to register their names in the census. And apparently um, traveling to one's own town was not a typical Roman custom. It was rather Jewish custom. Basically, Rome was honoring the local tradition of Israel in order to kind of appease them, but at the same time still show them that 
Rome is their ruler. And then verse 4 and 5 goes along. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, Joseph, was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So now here, after the historical background, Luke presents for us the main characters of the story. And if you uh, read the earlier chapter of uh, Luke and also the Gospel of Matthew, we see that the Holy Spirit miraculously conceived Jesus in uh, the womb of a virgin named Mary. And at that time, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, meaning uh, it's a stronger concept than our engagement. There were just Mary and Joseph were um, you know, bound to marriage, almost like legally, um, and, and very committed to that, and, but not yet married. Uh, quite yet. So that's the sort of a, a circumstance at the time. And then now in our text, you know, Joseph and his family must obey the royal edict for census, like everybody else, because they don't want to get in trouble. And they traveled to Joseph's ancestral home, Bethlehem. And the text says that uh, David or Joseph is uh, of the house of David. And that's where, in a few verses later, we see baby Jesus is born into. Here, what's important is that in the Jewish world, King David and Bethlehem were big deals. Uh, they, uh, the Jewish people believed from their scriptures that their future deliverer, Messiah, King Messiah, would be a physical descendant of King David, and that naturally he would be coming from David's hometown, Bethlehem. So we see in Old Testament Micah 5.2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, uh, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So please pause with me and think about this. You know, Caesar Augustine said, Augustus and Rome, you know, they are decreeing this census uh, for their own gain, right? For their own purpose. They are not doing the Jewish people a favor. They are not trying to fulfill this prophecy about their Messiah. They are not doing that. So what is happening here in this text is God of the universe, he is sovereign over the desires and decisions of world rulers, He's orchestrating the world history in order to accomplish his will and his purpose about Christmas. So Jesus, because of that, is born in the right family, house of David, and the right town, Bethlehem, to be the rightful king of Israel. God's full sovereignty over history. Um, I wonder, are you familiar with this a painter named Bob Ross. Uh, you know, I watched this show uh, growing up. Uh, he has a very, very soothing voice, and uh, he is masterful. He, you know, paints his, like, amazing, you know, paintings, nature masterpieces in a matter of, like, an hour, and he walks the audience, you know, step by step. I really still admire him. Uh, even so, I think there are some moments in his shows where I kind of frown because 
kind of does kind of weird, unconventional things. He like, for example, would uh, starts painting tree um, in the middle of lake, right? Just like brush strokes, and I'm like, ah, how does that gonna work out? But then, of course, you know, after a few minutes, you see him like adding more strokes, and uh, before you know it, you see this like amazing nature masterpiece that he creates for the audience. And I'm sharing that because I think it's like that when it comes to God's sovereignty and what God is doing in this text and in our lives. That is, you know, sometimes, you know, or many times, crazy things, in our, things happen in our lives, right? Like, and we wonder, why would God allow this to happen in my life? And also, in, in the world stage, when we see the news and what's, see what's happening in the world, we wonder, why would God allow that? And especially in this text, you know, the Jewish people at the time might have been wondering, why would God allow Rome to oppress us and make us take this stupid census? So we have to travel and all these things. Why? And the answer that we get from the text about that question is that God is, even through those unconventional brushstrokes, crazy things, and even illogical things that they seem, God uses these things to create his masterpiece. And Christmas is one great proof of that. And so, as we you know, look back at this past year, since you know, Christmas is towards the end of the year, I wonder how many crazy things in your life that happened in your, this past year. Perhaps some painful things, um, unimaginable things, but perhaps for some of us, we saw after those things happened that God used, God redeemed those things to accomplish his will in your life. Or maybe for some of us, that's still in progress. But again, the promise of Christmas is that God is in control in our lives, in the, the, the world history, and the, the circumstance of our current lives. So sovereign author. Second, Unusual story. So we go on in our story, in the text. So verse uh, 4, we, we saw that this baby is exceptional, that he is of royal origin. And in fact, you know, we saw, uh, you know, I explained that you know, being born in Bethlehem, he was fulfilling to be Davidic, David's Messiah that the, all Israel has been waiting for. So he's a big deal. So at this point, as we are reading along, perhaps with the original readers, uh, we can even get excited about, you know, what's going to happen to this baby, how he's going to be born. Um, you know, maybe some amazing things happening and all of that. But then here's a twist, verse 6 and 7. It says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in a in swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. It's very immersed in the story. I think the right response to this, reaction to this, this verse is, what? Huh? Because we just read that this baby is going to be amazing, and hope of the world, and hope of Israel. But then we see here in this verse that you know, he was born in a room reserved for animals. That 
they couldn't find proper bassinet or crib for their baby, so they had to get makeshift crib out of manger, which is, you know, feeding trough for animals. I think it's kind of hard to, I guess, illustrate this, but it's almost like Jeff Bezos, you know, arguably the, the richest man in the world right now, going and staying in, you know, cheap one-star motel and eating, you know, microwavable dish or something like that. This is mind-boggling thing that this type of baby should be born in this way. So we wonder, why such humble birth? And to get that answer, we must read on. Uh, and so please follow with me uh, as we go through the, the rest of the story. Verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So the, the scene shifts from the stable, the animal room of uh, Jesus' birth, to a field in the dark night sky. And the shepherds are taking a night shift for their job. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So all of a sudden, just imagine with me that um, the angel of God appears out of nowhere. And then it says, the glory of God, which uh, signifies a bright light that represents the presence of God from Old Testament, it's shining around them in the dark, nice sky. And naturally, um, obviously, the shepherds are freaking out. And in fact, the original text in Greek, it says, they feared great fear. They were really freaking out. And that's even more so theologically understandable because these sinful shepherds, sin- sinners, were encountering the holy God um, you know, at this time. And verse 10, uh, Luke goes on and says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, in his grace, God calms their fears. Uh, in fact, he announces that he has a news for them that will turn their great fear into great joy. That's a unmistakable uh, play on the words in Luke's part, from great fear to great joy. So the question is, what is this good news? We find that in verses 11 through 14. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the news is that Jesus has been born. He is a savior who delivers people out of trouble. He is Christ, which is a Greek translation of the the Hebrew Messiah, as we saw, and he's the Lord. You see, up until this verse, in the book of Luke, the word Lord was reserved only for God. So now here, Luke is saying this Messiah is not merely a political deliverer who would only give people material and physical comfort. 
Rather, this Messiah is God, the second person of Trinity, that became man who came to save people from spiritual pit that people are in. And then in verse 14, the billions of angels, you know, while praising God, in fact, explain further for us what this good news means. First, glory to God in the highest, angels say. The highest here refers to heaven. So in heaven, all the heavenly beings are giving glory and praise to God for the outworking of this salvation plan. And then it says, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So while there's praise in heaven, on earth there's peace. And here, peace is not just a psychological calmness or absence of, you know, uh, wars or conflicts. Uh, in the Bible, it goes beyond that. Peace has to start with God. It starts with God. The reason why we don't have peace in our lives is ultimately because we are not right with God. Because of our sin, we are at war with God, the Bible says. You know, straight from God, we try to find peace and fulfillment in our lives through other means, whether it's, you know, relationships or careers or money. And we all know from our experience, these things may only work for a while, but we are always left with, you know, peacelessness, you know, restlessness. And one example, good example is, you know, do we really think that Black Friday or Cyber Monday can really fulfill us? right? It is only when we come back to the source of our lives, God, when we are made right with God, when we have peace with him, or like the verse says, when God is pleased with us, we can have true peace in the rest of our lives. And the gospel says that only Jesus can secure the peace between God and us. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though Jesus is a newborn baby uh, in this text, he will later, as we know, uh, die for sinners, taking all the punishment for their sins. And the, the, the Bible says, those who put their faith in Christ, you know, they will be justified, meaning you know, they will be declared righteous and sinless because their sins will be paid for on the cross by Christ and Christ's perfect record will be imputed to the believers. And that's what's going on in the gospel. Through Jesus, now God does not have to have holy wrath towards sinners, but now he is, like it says, pleased with us. And if you really grasp that, that should cause true peace and great joy. And that is the great news that the angels are communicating in our text. So now, drawing a little circle here, now let's go back to our original question. Why did Jesus, why was Jesus born in such a humble way? The answers are found in uh, verse 10 and 11. In verse 10, it said uh, that the angels said the good news of uh, great joy was for all the people, meaning practically it means for anybody, 
And then in verse 11, uh, he said that Messiah has been born unto you, the shepherds, individualizing it. So what it means is this. At that time, shepherds were having shame of being considered by people a lower class. They were considered you know, uneducated people doing the things that other people don't want to do. So naturally, because of their you know, socioeconomic status, they could not have access to privileges that their society had to offer. So imagine if Jesus the king was born in a palace, then that would prove once again to the shepherds that you know, they cannot have access to this hope, this, this new king that was born. They will be denied the access. But here, Jesus was born in a stable, in an open country where they could visit. In fact, the text says angels gave them open invitation. There's no barrier. They can come. That's why Jesus was born in this way. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this show called uh, Undercover Boss. Uh, I don't know if it's still going or not, uh, but I, I saw some episodes here and there. Uh, this is a very interesting show where you know, CEOs and um, you know, higher-up position people in a big corporations, they disguise themselves and they you know, go to the workplaces of the entry-level workers, and they spend time with them, and, and, and you know, that's kind of how the show goes. And, and one thing stands out for me from the show is that because these bosses are disguising themselves and not disclosing their true identity, uh, these workers are able to approach them and you know, talk about their struggles and lives very freely. And, and so to speak, there's an access between the boss and um, the, the workers. Um, and I think that is basically what is happening in Christmas that Jesus, the king, the majestic king of the universe, you know, became humble, um, got onto the level of sinners so that there's no more barrier, that sinners can have access to the boardroom of the company, so to speak, and have relationship with their Lord. In other words, the offer of peacemaking with God that Christmas is giving to people is open to anybody. That's the point. Whether you are low class or high class, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are well put together in your life or you come undone, you know, you've made many mistakes in your lives and you feel terrible about yourself. Whoever you are, this is open. The invitation is open to anyone. And that is the offer. And we'll see the gift of Christmas. And then lastly, the right response. Now the rest of the story uh, consists of how people respond to God's revelation of Jesus in this text. Well, before we go to the people, we remember back in verses 13 and 14, the multitude of angels already responded to this revelation with heavenly worship. And now the question is, how would people respond? Verses 15 and 16, it says this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So the shepherds responded to God's revelation uh, with uh, faith, and they actually acted upon their faith, and they went and saw the sign of Jesus being fulfilled. And then verses 17 and 19, it says, And when they saw it, the, the shepherds, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What's interesting is that after seeing, after acting in faith and seeing this, you know, sign being fulfilled, what they do immediately is they become evangelists. They testify about God's revelation to people, and in response, uh, people who are there, by the way, it doesn't um, say explicitly, but it, it, it seems like there were more people present than Mary and Joseph in that room of birth of Jesus. And they're all responding to shepherds' testimonies uh, with their own responses of either worship or uh, Mary, you know, she's responding by contemplating about what this really means. And then verse 20, uh, last verse, says this. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So lastly, after all these things, shepherds worship God. In fact, the word praise in that verse, in Greek, it's the same word that was used to describe the angels' worship earlier. And we also saw that angels gave glory to God there. So what it means is that the shepherds have joined the angels in worship for this amazing salvation that God has revealed to them. So please follow with me here. The progression is this, the next slide. God's revelation comes, and then the shepherds, they act in faith, and they testify to others, and then they end in worship. That is a progression. So what the text Luke is suggesting to us is this. Whenever God's revelation happens, it requires our response. Revelation of God requires response. And we might wonder, I mean, the shepherds, they had revelation from angels, you know, amazing visual signs and stuff. But what about us? Well, the revelation that God gives to us is in this book, the Bible, the Word. Whenever we read it, whenever it is preached, even right now, God is revealing to us what his will is. And the text is saying that there has to be response. So, especially since we're talking about Christmas, how are we to respond to this revelation of Christmas? Um, you know, from this text, like I, said, like I said earlier, I'm convinced now that Christmas is really about the gift, that Jesus Christ is the gift of God's peace, and God delivered that gift by perfectly orchestrating the world history. And he, in fact, wrapped that gift for us, 
or our taste by having Jesus you know, be born humbly to be accessible to us. So God gave us this gift. And now, again, the question is, how are we going to respond? Will we take it? Will we take the gift? Will we share the gift with others? Will we praise God and thank God for that gift? Um, let me share about uh, a, uh, my proposal story to that. Um, so, my wife, my wife, Deb, and I have been married for five and a half years now. And uh, before that, we dated for about four years. And uh, the year 2014, the fullness of time came. And uh, I decided to, you know, make the move and propose to her. And I had this, this like, perfect plan in my mind. Uh, I was going to pick her up. Uh, on Friday night, that's when we, you know, go up to, went up to a uh, youth group that we were serving at the time. So I'll pick her up, and then, you know, I would have the youth group students, you know, prepare everything for me, for us. And then, uh, and then I'm going to bring her to uh, this room where, you know, there's, like, candlelights and stuff. And then I would sit her down, and then I would, like, play, you know, one secular song and one Christian song, balancing that out. Um, and then I would, you know, get up from the chair and then take my knee and then, you know, say, will you marry me? Perfect plan. Perfect plan in my mind at the time. Um, but this, here's how it turned out, okay? That day, there was a freezing rain warning, and that warning was for real. Because when I picked her up from the station, the... <laughs> road, like, all the way up to Milwaukee from Chicago was, like, really slippery. And uh, when I was exiting from the highway to take this local road to the church, it's, like, completely covered in ice. So I completely lost the control, and I was like, man, am I going to die on a proposal day? And, but thankfully, thank God, there was no car, you know, coming towards us, so it was fine. And then I pulled into the church parking lot, which was also covered with the snow, uh, uh, ice completely. So I slid again, and our car hit a pile of snow that was on the edge of the parking lot. So as you can imagine, at this time, as I was getting out of the car and telling Deb to come with me, I'm like, is God telling me not to propose today? Is this a sign? As I was thinking that, we went into the church building, and the, thankfully, the, the, the students prepared everything. So they turned off the, the, the lights as, they, as, as we planned beforehand. And then, uh, and then in the darkness, there came the candlelights on the floor, you know, leading us into this room where I was going to propose to her. So I take her by hand, and then I sit her down in the chair in the center of the room, surrounded by all the youth group students. And... <laughs> why, well, that was a reality, yeah. So, and then uh, I stepped back, and then I sat down on my chair with my guitar, and then uh, I started playing that secular song. And uh, it's a good song. I'm not going to reveal what the song was, but good song. The problem was, after literally a few words, I completely forgot all the words 
and all the chords of the song. So I put my head down, and I literally just like kept downstrumming same chord over and over, uh, like for a good a minute, right? And then when it got too awkward, I just skipped to the Christian song. And praise God, I finished the Christian song completely. So that was, that was good. But still, you know, as you can imagine at this point, I'm like, I'm about to get up from my chair and, you know, take the knee and ask the question. I'm like, man, it's ruined. You know, I'm, I messed up so much. Will she say yes, you know? But I'm a man, and I already got up, so I got to finish this. So I walk up to her, and I take the knee, and I nervously look up to her, and I ask her, will you marry me? And then seconds later, I see the tears welling up in her eyes, and, uh, and I hear, yes. And the rest is history. Well, later on, I asked Deb, hey, you know, what do you think of the, the whole, whole night? You know, like, what do you think? And, and she chuckles, and, well, I could tell a lot of things went wrong. You know, I, I knew I was going on. But I could say yes confidently because I saw your heart and your love behind it all. And I'm sharing because, in a way, you know, on Christmas Day, God was proposing to us too, for us to have a you know, committed relationship with him. Well, unlike my proposal, God's proposal was perfect, right? The world history under his control. But like my proposal, like you know, if, if that could see my heart and love for her through my imperfect proposal, I think we should see when we look at God's perfect proposal, we should see God's immense heart and love towards us. That's the perfect gift. That's what we should see in it. Now the question again is, what's our response? Will we say yes? Will we take it? And if you already said yes to this gift of God's peace in our lives, now Will we cherish this gift to the point that we cannot help telling others about it? And then to undergird all of that, will our hearts be filled with heart of worship, thanking God and cherishing this gift of salvation? That is what Christmas is all about. And this Christmas, what will be our response? Let's pray together. In a moment, uh, we'll corporately respond to uh, God's revelation in the Word uh, through songs and um, you know, further reflections together, and we'll be worshiping God in response. But for now, um, I want to encourage us to respond uh, individually, um, just reflecting upon uh, this amazing gift and proposal of God to us um, and really understanding what this is, is for us, what this means and what God's heart is towards us. Can we meditate on that? Just like Mary in our text 
treasured up and she pondered. She thought deeply about all these things. I think that's the right response. Um, I think that's important, especially before we go into singing, because emotion comes and goes. But what really remains is when we deeply uh, reflect on God's revelation and make it ours, digesting it, uh, and then just burst in worship. Can we do that for just a few moments and then uh, we'll uh, sing the songs. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the word, your revelation, your loving, kind uh, words towards us uh, in your grace. Help us to receive that. Help us to uh, understand all that you want us to know and cherish. And uh, now help us to respond the way uh, you want us to. Help us, God. We need you even this time. Thank you. Let's all stand together and respond in worship. So we uh, sang a few Christmas hymns today, but this uh, Tuesday, Christmas Eve, we'll gather together at our house. So if you're in town, you're welcome to come to our house in Shoreview, and we'll have a Christmas Eve gathering. So, um, so we'll, we'll worship, we'll look at scripture, and then we'll remember Christmas, remember Christ, and, uh, and then have time, in, time for fellowship. And, uh, and then the week after that, we'll have New Year's Eve prayer meeting. This is a good time of year because um, numbers are a little smaller in our church. And so um, it's, it's very quaint. We gather together. It's cozy. Um, service is cozy. And then even the Christmas Eve gathering, New Year's Eve gathering, it's very cozy. And then we can just, you know, like a lot of things don't matter, right? Like music doesn't matter. Um, violin can be out of tune. It doesn't matter. Right? Um, what really matters is we're folk trying to focus on Christ. And uh, especially this time of year, how was my 2019 what really matters in my life? What am I living for? What am I looking forward to? How, how do I want to live 2020? So we can do that in this kind of quaint setting. So you're welcome to join us. We'll sing some more Christmas hymns. We'll do things like that. Um, how can you tell if you're out of shape? Um, you cannot tell if you're sitting on your couch doing nothing, watching TV. You can tell. If you're trying to walk up those steps, you know, from down, down there to up here, and you can't even make it up these steps without huffing and puffing, you realize, wow, uh, I need to work out. I need to get on the treadmill. I've been eating too much. I'm out of shape. Okay, right? You can't tell unless you actually try to do something and uh, you realize it. I think spiritually it's like that. Like how can you tell if you're spiritually out of shape if you're not doing anything, a lot of times you can't tell. But then we, are conf we read a scripture like today, we hear a message like today, and then it doesn't stir our hearts, right? It doesn't, like, nothing burns inside. Wow, God did that for me. God gave Jesus for me. Jesus actually came uh, as, a, as, a, as a needy baby. And that's the, that's the 
characteristic of this redemption story. And he did that for me. And uh, if, um, if there's something, like I hear a, a common message like that and it burns in here, um, chances are you're spiritually in shape. But nothing moves. It's just, oh, it's like I've heard that before. Same old, same old story. Um, probably means I need to get on the treadmill spiritually. I need to get in the word. I need to seek him and give my heart to him again, uh, again today. So, you know, let's just kind of uh, reflect on these things. And so, like I said, 2019 is coming to a close. I want to invite you to come to these gatherings and then we'll reflect. We'll get into the word and we'll pray. And uh, we'll try to, you know, be spiritually in shape as we end this year and go to the next year. It's just, uh, can you just take a moment, a few seconds, you close and pray, we'll pray a little bit, reflecting on the sermon that we heard today. And then I'll close us in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your sovereign presence over over our lives, over the universe, over generations, and over all history. Um, we declare that you are the sovereign God that controls all things, even the very details of our lives, that we can trust in you no matter what happens, even in the messiness, because you are working to accomplish your plan, which you declare is good. We thank you for the great sacrifice of Jesus coming to this earth and in the manner in which he did it in humility, actually becoming um, a human being so that he can die in our place. And we pray that this message of Christmas would be deep and dear within our hearts. And we pray that it would cause us to trust in you more, to love you more, to delight in you more, so that all of our hearts today and tomorrow would be, would be yours. Thank you for your constant, unchanging grace that we can rest in you and find strength in you in all circumstances. Thank you, Lord. May you be glorified in our lives as we try just a little bit more every day to give ourselves to you so that you receive more glory from us. Thank you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging love of the Father God and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever. Amen. Please be seated.